In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Some people in the Bible have a sense of entitlement, but these are not freeloaders who have done nothing and expect to be rewarded for it. These are people who thought their pure bloodlines and devout behavior entitled them to some special status with God. Jesus was most favorable to those whose religious resumes were less than pristine. People like the prodigal son who squandered the family fortune, the Samaritan woman at the well who had been married five times and whose current male roommate was not her husband, the blind man begging by the side of the road, the tax collectors and sinners with whom Jesus ate, and the woman of Canaan in today's gospel. The woman of Canaan began the story with three strikes against her from the perspective of a righteous first century Jewish male. She was a woman, a Gentile, and the mother of a daughter with a demon. Since demons don't just accidentally possess people, we can assume this family had been involved with some things that weren't exactly kosher. However, Jesus set her daughter free and called her a woman of great or literally mega faith. The only other person in the New Testament whose faith Jesus described as great is the centurion whose servant Jesus healed. Jesus offered to come to the centurion's home, but the soldier responded that he was not worthy of an actual visit. A remote control healing would work just fine. Jesus said he had not seen such great faith anywhere in Israel. That is, anywhere among those who could claim to be among God's chosen people. The Judaism of the first century judged the people mentioned above to be sinners, unclean, unfaithful, or outside of the covenant. Each accepted that judgment, and in each case, the judgment worked in the person's favor. Each approached Jesus asking for mercy, not a reward for righteous behavior, and each received what each desired. The point is not that God prefers those who sin to those who obey the commandments. The point is that those who understand that they are not entitled to anything from God understand the truth about human nature. They approach Jesus with honesty and humility, asking for mercy. And Jesus, the Son of, of God, does what God always does to those who approach him with honesty and humility, asking for mercy. He gives it to them. The danger of religion is that 
it tends over time to cultivate a certain pride. We may begin to practice our faith and obey the commandments out of gratitude for what God has done for us. However, over time, we may begin to develop a sense that our obedience is a result of some virtue we possess by nature. We may become proud of our many years of sound moral living. We may begin to look at others whose outward appearance or behavior is less attractive and judge them to be unworthy of God's favor. We may develop a sense of entitlement as though we somehow deserve the grace of God. This moves us away from God because it is not true. The truth is that even after years of following Jesus, we remain sinners who are being saved by the grace of God. Often the things that result, uh, lead to pride, result from our circumstances, not our merit. For example, it is a great gift and grace if you were raised in a Christian family that introduced you to Jesus and taught you to obey the commandments. But that gift does not make you inherently better than another person who, by accident of birth, was born into a family where unfaithfulness, disobedience, or abuse were the norm. The life and death of Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament and began the new age of the new covenant. In the new covenant, anyone who repents and believes in Jesus can become a part of God's chosen people, no matter where that person has come from or what that person has done. Paradoxically, those who have come from bad places and done bad things are often more aware of their sin and their need to be saved. Thus, they often more naturally put their trust, their faith in Jesus. Those who come from, quote, good families and have lived outwardly moral lives often fall into a false sense that they are entitled to God's favor. They often miss the grace of God as a result. One hallmark of genuine Christianity is that we become more aware of our sin as we grow in the faith. In the early stages of faith, we clean up our egregious, visible transgressions. But over time, as we come to see ourselves more clearly in the light of Christ, we become aware of our more subtle defects in motivation and attitude. We see more clearly how our love for God and neighbor falls short of the perfection of Christ. The point of this revelation is twofold. First, it reminds us that we are sinners who need to be saved. And second, it keeps us striving to grow in faith, hope, and love. 
so that we will be more like Christ. If we realize that God accepts us by grace in spite of our sin, we will be less inclined to judge other people. In fact, we will want them to know what we know. And this is the foundation for a mission-oriented church. A mission-oriented church is a community of people who have experienced God's grace and want to share that experience with others. It is a community that welcomes the woman of Canaan and does not tell her to go away because she is not entitled to God's favor. Because we need to maintain humility and remain dependent upon God's grace, God allows us to experience affliction and does not always remove pain from our lives. St. Paul was Christ's chosen apostle to the Gentiles. He was given a vision of heaven where he saw what he described as things not lawful for humans to discuss. St. Paul writes, quote, Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. And when he prayed for healing, God said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Sometimes the very things we want God to take away from us are the very things that keep us close to God. Our afflictions remind us of our sin and our mortality, that dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. And they make us dependent upon God's grace. They ought also to give us a heart for others who are afflicted. Our prayer before communion, what we call the prayer of humble access, is based in part on what the woman of Canaan said to Jesus, except that we take her humility and raise it just a bit. She claimed that even as a Gentile dog, she might be entitled to the crumbs that fell from the master's table. We claim that we are not worthy even of these. Of course, we make our claim of unworthiness in rhythmic and attractive English so that we might be tempted over time to become proud of just how good we sound being humble. Surely God must prefer us to other Christians whose groveling is less poetic. But this prayer and our whole liturgy teach us that we are not entitled to anything from God no matter how long we've been at it or how good we look doing it. One purpose of Lent is to remind us that only those who ask for mercy from God are able to receive it. Only those who know and confess that they are dead in their sins are able to be forgiven and participate in Easter. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost.